Um, we are in week five, with part five of our study through the book of Esther. Esther, um, if you're not, if you're kind of not familiar with the Bible, um, well, one, if you've got a, an eye, a device, you just find it because you just type in Esther. But if you've got an actual Bible, halfway in the middle of the Bible is Psalms. If you go back two books to the left, that's Esther. Um, here's what we've learned in Esther so far. We were just talking about writing. I know God wrote Esther, but the author of Esther, man, he knew how to write a story, didn't he? Like, I was thinking about cliffhangers. Um, this is going to date me. I didn't get to watch the show because my family was like, you can't watch that show. But um, do you remember the cliffhanger? The, probably the most famous cliffhanger in all of television history was who shot JR. Remember that? Now, if you're like under a certain age, you're like, I don't even know who Junior is. I think he drives for NASCAR. But um, JR was a character on a show called, was it Dallas? Is that right? And um, it's even hard to say Dallas as a Panthers fan, but it was a show called Dallas. And, and so at the end of the season, like he got shot and then that was it. And he had to wait like the whole off season to find out who shot JR. If you're really into dramas, if you're really into series, um, you know, like television show series, if sometimes I'll, we'll be watching something. I'm so into it. Like I'm, I'm just glued. Usually I'm aware of the time, right? You're kind of looking at the clock. You try to pace the show, don't you? You're like, wow, there's, there's a lot to work out in the next five-minute segment, you know? And so you kind of, sometimes you see the to be continued coming, but have you ever gotten so wrapped up in the drama that you're, you forget all about time? And then like those, those are the three words you hate, aren't they? They just show up to be continued. And you're like, oh, crap. Like, I can't wait a week, right? That's when it's good to, you, you, like, record the shows, right? And you can just watch them whenever you want. You just go right to the next one. That's kind of how Esther's been. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that at the end of every chapter, it's like, what happens next? I mean, the, the, the author is brilliant. At the end of chapter one, the queen is gone and there's no new queen. So who's going to be the next queen? End of chapter two, Mordecai has uncovered this assassination plot, and then he's forgotten. Like, what's going to happen to Mordecai? End of chapter 3. The, the king the king is given an order to kill the queen's people, but he doesn't know it's the queen's people. And the entire city of Susa is in confusion. That's the end of chapter 3. Like, just think of this like as a TV series. Like, that's episode 1, 2, 3. And every week you're kind of like, <gasps> what happens next? And then last week, chapter 4, we found this. It ends with all the Jews dressed in this weird stuff called sackcloth and ashes. So the entire Jewish population is in mourning. They're all dressed weird, and they're fasting for three days in hopes that Esther will not be killed when she shows up in front of the king unannounced. And that's kind of where we picked the story up this morning. We're, we're in chapter 5. Well, I think about, about moms. I think about bravery. You know, we're talking about this thing. Called, it's called brave. What is it, what is it really, what, what calls for courage? What, what do we need bravery for? And sometimes we think of stuff like, well, you know, to beat up that punk, right? I need, there's this punk kid, he's bugging me. I'm, I'm like, in, my only fight ever was in, I was in the eighth grade, and I fought against the guy who was in the seventh grade, and, I, and I'm, I'm not a fighter. And so it was a one-punch fight, and then I was, I don't know what happened after that, because I was, I was out. I mean, I lost my reputation, you know, because I was an eighth grader, got knocked out by a seventh grader, first punch, and everybody saw it because, you know, in middle school, especially in Albemarle, it's like, fight, 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 and it just attracts people. Like, people were driving in from Charlotte, checking it out. Like, it should have been pay-per-view, right? And it, and it was over like that. I mean, I, 
you know what I think takes the most bravery of all, the most courage? And some of you are in this place. It takes the most courage to trust God when you don't have any idea what's coming next. You think about it. In this past week, if we went around the room, and we won't do this, but if we went around the room and said, what, what has surprised you in life in the last week? Oh, some of you have stories to tell, don't you? You're like, I didn't see that coming. And now I don't know what's going to happen. We sing songs like, give me faith. Why, why do we need faith? Because we don't, we don't know what's coming next. That's what takes bravery. That's what we're seeing in this book. Of all the things that require bravery, waiting in faith in between the need and the answer sometimes requires the most. Here we are, chapter 5. At the beginning of chapter 5, we see the end of this three-day fast. Um, what we're going to see in chapter 5 is like this great contrast of, it's, it's just, this week is called Be Brave, Approach the Throne. So there's two ways to approach the throne, and we're going to see them here. We're going to see how Esther approached the throne. We're going to see how Haman, and if you remember Haman um, from chapter 3, he's the biggest shark in the water. We talked about sharks in the water. We're going to see how he approached the throne and see if we can't make a couple observations. So um, let's talk about the beginning of chapter 5. Let me read the first eight verses, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk through it. It says this, On the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, because that's what he does, facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And then the king asked, verse 3, What is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I prepared for him. Well, bring Haman at once. Kings are always doing that, aren't they? They're like, at once, immediately, make it happen now. They just love to do that stuff. Waitress, server, you know. Bring, the king, bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? Nothing opens up a man like alcohol. It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to get tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them, and then I will answer the king's questions. So let's just talk through these first eight verses. Let's talk about how Esther approached the throne. I've got a lot of, um, a lot of answers to give you, a lot of ways that she approached the throne, and then I'll give you the point. I know you've got a blank to fill in, but we'll get to that in just a second, okay? So underneath that blank, just write some of these words down. Number one, Esther approached the throne with confidence. Okay, with confidence. Let's just kind of work through these verses. It says in verse 1 that on the third day she, she entered and she stood in the inner court of the palace. I was doing some studying on how they built these palaces and these courts. Um, you ever been to a stadium and watched a game and you walk out going, there's not a bad seat in the house. Have you ever been to those, those places? Uh, like here, there's a couple bad seats. Um, Mia's in one because I can only see her hair. And there's a couple here, and there's a few, like Mike's behind one, like he's in one, because you kind of have to like, you know, there's some bad seats here, right? But the way they built this, and tell me, we're talking about, um, about Xerxes, like he's egotistical, right? He's king of the world. He rules over the entire known world. They built these palaces in such a way that you couldn't stand anywhere in the court and not have a clear view of the throne. They made sure, oh, you could see the king. So when she walks in, now again, she's been fasting. She's had people fast for three days because the king is well within his legal right to kill her because he didn't invite her to come. 
And so she, she walks in. I don't know how you walk into that, you know. I mean, I used to, like, I used to get flop sweat bad just giving book reports, you know. You ever, like, I don't know if you break out in sweats when you're in front of people, but I could give book reports and, like, I could watch the sweat just roll down my nose and hang there before it fell off. Like, you get off and, like, you, you don't even have rings. You're just, like, totally, like, there's a dry spot, right? You know, I, I, I'd be shaken. And she, what does she do? With confidence, she walks into that room. And she sees him because you can't be anywhere and not see him, which means that you can't be anywhere and he doesn't see you. And what does she do? She stood. Man, this is a woman who's not freaking out. This is a woman who's not wavering. She's standing in full view of the man who holds her life in his hands, and she is standing. It reminded me of Ephesians 6.13. It's one of those great verses that says stuff like, sometimes the Bible says things, you're like, that sounds so good, but I don't know what it means, Right? And it says, having done all to stand, stand. Like, I read that verse and go, having done all to stand, I'm waiting for something amazing to come after that. Having done all to stand, the heavens open up and angels come down and defeat your enemies, right? But the Bible, and having done all to stand, stand. Like there's something about just that, isn't there? Just like standing toe to toe, looking the enemy in the eye, looking the situation in the eye, just like, here I am. She, she approached the throne with confidence. This really stood out to me. She approached the throne with preparation. She, she, was, she fasted. They prayed. She's smart, man. She was even, she made sure she put on her royal robes. She made sure she looked good. Um, women in the house, if you are going to go and ask somebody for something, do you take a little bit of extra time to make sure that you look good? You make sure there's no spinach in your teeth, right? You're like, you, you're doing the makeup. You're like the girl I was driving next to that was doing the mascara as she drove down the road. And I'm like, oh, dear God, right? What is going on? She's probably going to stand before a king, right? She's making sure she looks good. And that's what she's, she's preparing, okay? She's, and I'm not the best person to talk about this because, um, I mean, you have already can tell I don't always dress the nicest. It's just like, well, that T-shirt's on top, Right? <laughs> But, man, people that, like, when you, if, if you're going to an interview, if you're going to something that's like the president calls and says, I want to meet, or you're going to meet, you, you make sure you're ready, don't you? You think about what you're going to say. You consider the words that you're going to use. She fasted. She prayed. She was not flying by the seat of her pants. She, she approached the throne with purpose. This was a woman who was on a mission. I thought about this. We can't really relate this because we don't live in kings and queens land. But there may have been times that as the queen, she could just hang out with the king. I don't know. Like they get together and play Jenga. I don't know. But this was at that time, right? She was on a mission. I'm going to stand before the king. I'm going to approach the king. Not to just like chat, hang out, and like, you know, fling my hair around and no, I'm going to save my people. She's a woman on a mission. She approached the throne with expectation. I love at the end of chapter 4, we find out she was willing to die. But you know what I learned in chapter 5? She didn't expect to die. Check this out. Look at verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 4. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared. For him. She went expecting him to come eat. She did not go expecting to die. I think about that. He could have killed her. She walked in 
having already made the preparation for a banquet for him to come to. Food's ready. They pop the cork. They're pouring the bubbly, right? It's all there. Like, it's, it's all ready. It's all waiting. And she says, I've already prepared it. Now, come on. Come with me. She's already made the preparations for what she'd hoped for. Let me ask you this question. How many times do we approach the king and we, we ask him for things that we really don't even expect him to do? Okay, we don't think of it like that. Have you ever prayed for God to do something and he did it and you were like, wow, he did it. I mean, that's me all the time, right? Think about that. How little expectation I have if I'm asking him to do what he said he would and then I'm surprised that he did what he said he would do, right? Oh, God, heal my son. And then son's healed. Well, I can't believe God healed my son. Well, you kind of asked him to, right? <laughs> so he kind of did. She's expecting it. Esther wasn't like that. When I spent one summer, one summer as a salesman selling waterless cookware. What a blast it was. Thank you, Jesus, that it was just one summer. You know what the hardest part for me was? Was what, what salespeople will sometimes call the big ask, right? It's when you kind of work them up to this point where you have to, they're like, hey, sounds great, sounds great. And you have to at some point say, would you like to buy this? The big ask. Maybe if you've ever um, done any fundraising, right, and you have to ask somebody, to actually give you money. It's, you can like have a 30-minute meal and you're just for 29 minutes and 58 seconds, you're just talking about anything but what you're there to talk about. And then the whole time you're like, I know I've got to ask. I know I've got to ask. I know I've got to ask. I mean, the big ask. She came in there ready for that. The ask for us is easy. We can expect God to answer when we ask. And here's how we know. Matthew 6, 8. Matthew 6, 8 says this, that our God knows what we need before we even ask him. When you and I approach our king, we can approach him with expectation because he already knows what we need. And then last she approached him, she approached the throne with patience. She was ready to ask. And then when the time came to ask, she asked for another chance to ask. And so when I read commentators, they said maybe she got scared. Maybe she suddenly realized, oh, crud, like I'm getting ready to ask, and maybe I want another day to think about it. I think when it's all said and done and you read the end of the story, it's just the providence of God. Like she understood the timing of God. Sometimes we get in a hurry. You've heard the phrase, why well, put off until tomorrow what you can do today? I can think of one good reason, God's timing. She could have asked then, and she said, you know what? If it pleases the king, how about we do this again tomorrow? Just come back tomorrow. I'll have some more food, some more wine. We'll hang out together, together again. And then I'll tell you, she understood. Listen, we need to be sensitive to God's timing. We need to not be impatient with delays. And she wasn't. So um, here's the blank that you can put on your sheet. This first case study, how do we approach the throne? Esther approached the throne as an advocate. She approached the throne as an advocate. She was going to the king on behalf of others. And to me, that sounds a lot like moms, right? 
I was just doing some research this week um, about advocacy. I know uh, Catherine does a lot with that. Um, probably the most famous one is Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Um, that got started by Candace Leitner in 1980. And the reason it got started is because her 13-year-old daughter was killed by a drunk driver. If you study a lot of advocacy programs, here's what you'll find. The people who start the advocacy programs, they start them because they're invested personally in what they're advocating for. My mom was the biggest advocate for getting my brother into an actual classroom where he could learn. Because everybody looked at my brother and said, hey, he's, he's mentally handicapped. He's got some physical limitations, so let's put him back in a closet somewhere. We'll give him a special teacher who will stay with him. And my mom was like, she was a Christian, so she's like, heck no. That's not going to fly here. And she went to bat for my, my brother because she was invested Hey, moms, you would do the same thing for your kids. You're doing the same things for your kids. Some moms are so into advocacy that they start programs that become national, international. And if you interview them, they're like, I never dreamed it would get this big. I was just trying to take care of my kid. Now, some moms don't start advocacy programs. Some moms do crazy things and they go viral. Um, can we show that real quick, that video? You've probably seen this this week, right? Um, now, we've turned the, the sound down, right? Um, <laughs> but if you saw this during the Baltimore riots, this is a mom advocating for her son. And what she's saying is, get your butt away from all the stuff that's going on or I'm going to kill you, right? She's pulling the hood off because she's like, my son ain't acting like that. We're not gonna, you can put the rock down. You're not going to throw that rock. She went off on the kid, man. She's, she's advocating. Some of you are like, I like that program a lot better than starting a national, international advocacy program, right? She's just advocating for her kid. This is what Esther was doing. She's, she's going to the king. She's approaching the king. She's approaching the throne as an advocate. Well, let's talk about the second case study. The second part of Esther, chapter 5. We're going to talk about Haman if, if Esther approached the throne as an advocate, Haman approached the throne as an opportunist. We're going to put that up on the screen so you'll know how to spell it because I had to look it up. As an opportunist, okay? Uh, that's not the same as an optimist, all right? It's an opportunist. Let me read it while you're writing that down. Let me read you the rest of this chapter, and we'll talk about Haman, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Um, little backstory: if you've not read Esther, if you go back and read chapters 3 and chapters 4, what you'll find is um, Mordecai is at the city gate. He, he's kind of like works some in city, city government politics. So he's at the city gate. That's where he sits every day. And so Haman got elevated to um, a huge place of honor and power. And so when Haman would walk by, everybody would bow to Haman. And so right now, if you're like a man's man, you're like, I ain't bound to nobody, right? And so Mordecai would not bow to Haman. Now, it wasn't like a worship bow. It was kind of like saluting somebody that was in the military. So this is about respecting the position. Mordecai refuses to do that, and it just got under Haman's skin. Do you have people that do that to you? <laughs> you're like, Satan has given me a thorn in my side, and his or her name is fill in the blank, right? Like Mordecai just... He's like sand that you can't get out from the beach, right? It's just rubbing you the wrong way. It's painful. You just, ugh. And so he and, he and Haman, Haman and Mordecai, they have this back history with their families. They go back generations. Their families have never gotten along. 
So when Haman found out that Mordecai was a Jew, he hates him all the more. And here he goes. He's coming out from this banquet where the king and the queen have been hanging out with him and him only. And he's like, your best day, right? And as he walks past the gates, everybody's like, hello, sir. Hello, sir. And Mordecai's like, what? And it just bugs him, right? That's what's going on. He says this in verse 10. Nevertheless, the man restrained himself. Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and, and Jerez, what a name, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai. Can't you hear him saying that? That Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. That Jew Mordecai sounds like a reality show. That Jew Mordecai. His wife, Jeresh, and all of his friends said to him, have a gallows built 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hung on it. Like you have married a freak when that's their answer. I'm having a bad day at work. There's this employee I just I don't like. And the wife's like, kill him. Okay. <laughs> Like, we just went from A to Z, right? Like, like, don't try to work it out. Just off him. Kill him. And not only kill him, then go hang out with the king and eat and be happy. Like, kill him and go on with your life. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the gallows built. This is a jacked-up reality show television family. Um, let's talk about Haman. He's approaching the throne as an opportunist. Here's a couple ways that he approached the throne. He approaches the throne with pride. Haman approaches the throne with pride. He boasted about, we saw in verse 11, his wealth, his, his family, his position. I love, this is, sounds so like pride, doesn't it, in verse 12. I am the only one. I'm the only one that's been asked to come. Um, this is like, we live in such a selfie-oriented world, don't we? So the goal of selfies is to, <laughs> the goal of a selfie is to, if you can at all, like get a picture with a really famous person, right? Because then if you get a picture with a famous person, that might be what gets you discovered and you'll become famous. This is, this is Haman. Haman's like, I am meeting with the king. And the queen's photobombing in the background, right? Mike, he's like, I'm going to post this. It's going to go viral. This is the one. I'm going to make a six-second video. I'm going to put it on Vine, and I'm going, to be, I'm going to be famous. Because Haman is full of pride. He approaches the throne with pride. How can I benefit from this position? He approaches it with an agenda. There is something that he wants. And listen, I want you to get this, okay? There's something that Haman wants, and on, the, and on the surface, it looks like what he wants is he wants Mordecai to bow. Do you read that in the story? Like if Mordecai would just bow. Don't you know people at the city gate, especially Jews at the city gate, they're like tugging at Mordecai. Dude, just get your butt down. We're going to die because you won't bow. Just bow. And it looks like on the surface what Mordecai wants is just, man, just bow to me. But you know what Mordecai really wants? He don't want one person to bow to him. He wants everybody to bow to him. More, uh, Haman wants the throne. He's got an agenda. He wants everybody to bow. Agendas, they're not bad in a business meeting, right? It's like good to have a plan, like here's one, two, three, four, and five that we're going to talk about. But agendas personally, 
when everything you do is driven by an agenda for you, it'll turn you into the, the most unsatisfied person in the world, which is exactly what happens to Haman, isn't it? All the things that happen on that day. And he said, but none of this gives me satisfaction because one guy. So he approaches the throne with pride. He approaches it with an agenda. Last, he approaches it with bitterness. Simply put, this man hates Mordecai. He wants him dead. Um, now, think about this. I know you can't relate to this. You've never hated somebody so bad you want them to die. I mean, you might have said it, but you didn't mean it. Like, he hates Mordecai so much that he's going to build a 75-foot gallow. That's, that's seven and a half stories high. And it was, you know, like, we picture, like, the Old West, right? So they're hanging there and, like, you know. But back then it was like they would be impaled and then stuck up where the gallows were. So he wants to impale Mordecai, put him seven and a half stories high so all the world can see. But isn't Mordecai going to be dead in just a few months anyway? Right? Remember, they're going to have the purge. Like they've already got it. It's already written. It's a law. Like on a certain day, all the Jews are going to be killed. He's already going to die, but that's not enough. He's so full of bitterness, he can't wait for that day. He's got to build a gallows. Bitterness is like that. Bitterness has a way of working through us until nothing satisfies us but the downfall of the people that make us bitter. Eating with the king, the queen, having money, having a good family, having a great job. None of that satisfies Haman. But what did satisfy Haman? What satisfies Haman is when his crazy wife suggests that he should kill Mordecai and then hang out with the king. And that delighted Haman. And you Listen, just self-check, right? You know that you are full of bitterness when the good things in your life don't satisfy you. But bringing bad and pain to somebody else does. Like, that's a pretty good reality check. I might need to do something about what's inside of me. I think I might be going down a wrong path. And this is where Haman is. He approaches the throne as an opportunist. What can I get out of this position? What can I get the king to do for me? Esther's approaching the throne. How can I get the king to help me help others? And Haman's like, what can I just get for, for myself? I'm like second in command. What can I get out of this position? Let me ask you a question as we finish up this morning. Do you have tunnel vision or funnel vision? Like, what does that mean? It rhymes. It must mean something. <laughs> Do you have tunnel vision or funnel vision? Let me explain them. Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision sees only one thing, and it loses all perspective of a greater plan. Tunnel vision leads to idolatry. Haman had tunnel vision. I want Mordecai dead. That became his entire existence. If I could just get rid of Mordecai, get rid of the Jews, get on the throne. I mean, power, agenda. This is his entire reason for living. He's got tunnel vision. I know that you've heard tunnel vision talked about in a positive way, and I get it at some point. Like if you're really focused on a goal, I totally understand it. There's nothing wrong with that. But if, it, if it's your life, if that's all that marks you, if you're living for one thing and one thing only, if I can't have that thing, nothing else will satisfy. That's not good. And that one thing has become your idol. Well, yeah, but you're talking about sinners and stuff. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about people who have a ministry 
and it becomes the ministry. And then they're full of bitterness because I can't get people to help me do this ministry. Well, they're busy doing another ministry, right? Like people that suddenly what you do is the only thing that really matters. If people really love Jesus, they will jump on board with what you're doing. See, this is what Haman was about. It's tunnel vision. Funnel vision. Besides, it sounds funny, but funnel vision. I'm going to define it like this. It recognizes a greater plan. It recognizes that we are a piece of it, a funnel, if you will, that God can move his plan through. Funnel vision. If tunnel vision leads to idolatry, funnel vision leads to humility. Esther, do you see Esther? She's got funnel vision. She's like, I'm just playing a part. I'm going to stand in front of the king, and I'm going to plead for my people, and I'm going to play my part in this greater plan. We've talked about this through Esther. Men make plans, and God's got a plan, right? Like, men are doing the best they can. God is sovereign, powerful. He can work through the worst decisions and still accomplish his plan. And when we have funnel vision, we're like, you know what? It's not all about me. I'm just, I'm just a vessel. I'm just a funnel that God's going to work his plan through. I'm going to stand in front of this king. I'm going to ask for this, and God's going to use me. Funnel vision always allows us to see that we are part of the plan, not the heart of the plan. I'm going to say that one more time, and then we're going to wrap up. Funnel vision sees that we are a part of the plan, not the heart of the plan. Who is at the heart of the plan of God? Jesus. Jesus is the heart of the plan. And when we understand that, that's when we find ourselves courageously, with confidence, yes, but with humility, approaching this throne that our king sits on. Esther had begun to see that someone greater than herself was paving a way to the throne. And today I want you to see that someone greater than us has paved a way to the throne too. Let me read you this verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Talking about Jesus, it says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. There's the confidence that Esther approached the throne with. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus went before us to, to make a way to the throne. So that's your big idea this morning. Your big idea is this. Jesus alone made a way to the throne. Jesus alone made a way to the throne. There's not any other way to get there. He's it. Like coming to church, even this church, every Sunday will not get you to heaven. Reading the Bible, even the whole Bible, will not get you to heaven. Being baptized, not going to get you to heaven. The only way to approach the throne is through Jesus. He made a way. Esther approached the throne to plead for her people. Jesus, he sits on a throne interceding for his people. He made a way. He alone made a way to the throne. He was... With all due respect to all the moms that have done amazing things, Jesus was the best advocate ever. And not having been a mom, 
but haven't been raised by one. Being around moms, isn't it amazing how sometimes even moms, all of us are so susceptible to tunnel vision, aren't we? My kids, my kids. And then when your kids are gone, it's like, what, what now? There's a greater plan that we play a part of. Esther understood that. It wasn't just about her. There's it, it, a greater plan in place. Jesus has made a way for us to approach a throne where we can find grace, the things that we need at the exact time that we need them. That's what Jesus was. It's what he did. He was the best advocate. He did it so that we could find, what does it say in Hebrews? Mercy and grace. Salvation instead of death. 